Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, well, actually, go to Matthew 10. Put a, your ribbon or something in Matthew 10. Uh, we'll be in Matthew 10 in a little bit, but we're going to start in Matthew 28. <clears throat> Last week, uh, those of you that were here, no, 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 anyway. Know uh, that Pastor Montgomery preached last week, uh, Pastor from Silver Springs, because I was on vacation the week prior. Um, but uh, normally, when we have a guest speaker, I'm not here. Um, but I was here, <clears throat> and um, uh, he really challenged me last week. Uh, I, I feel like, in some ways, uh, I haven't. Uh, done enough to keep missions in front of us all year long. And if you haven't noticed this morning, there are little tables around the room uh, with our missionaries on it. There we, have, we currently support four missionaries, and <clears throat> uh, all of them are, are up. Uh, uh, there's two in the back. Well, there's three in the back. There's one up here. Then, and then this one up here, is uh, uh, David and Elizabeth Wilt. Uh, David was uh, a, is a missionary to New York City, uh, and he was with us uh, about three weeks ago, I guess. Yeah, I think about three weeks ago. Uh, anyway, so his his uh, uh, name is up here. And what I would like to do at the end of the service, okay, at the very end after we baptize, before you leave, let me. I want to challenge you with something. Uh, the four missionaries that we currently support, we have their current uh, prayer letter uh, on the table. And then all five tables, including this one up here, has a card. And what I would like you to do is to, to just make your way around to all five of the tables before you leave, sign the cards, and read the prayer letters. Now, we don't have one for the Wilts yet. Um, uh, we're hoping to be able to start supporting them here in a little bit. Um, but uh, everybody can sign the card. You can read their prayer letter. Uh, what I would recommend is most prayer letters that uh, come through uh, have prayer requests on them. Uh, take your phone out, take a picture of the prayer request, and then pray for, pray for those missionaries. And we're going to try to do a lot better job of getting uh, new, as new prayer letters come in, getting them out before you so you know what's going on in the life of our missionaries and that you can better pray for them. And uh, God has really burdened me for this idea of praying for our missionaries. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. <clears throat> the truth is this. If we don't know our missionaries, we're not going to pray for them. It's that simple. And that's one of the reasons I, we put these tables out so that hopefully you can start to get to know them and uh, know their hearts, know their burdens, know their prayer requests, know some of the conflicts that they face so that you can better pray for them. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. This is Paul writing to the, to the church at Thessalonica. 
And he, the first thing he, he says in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, finally, he's, he's, he's winding up his letter to the church. He says, finally, pray for us. Pray for us. We need you to pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Pray for our missionaries. And as I, as I was burdened for this idea of praying for our missionaries, I was, ta- I was taken, uh, my mind took me to two passages. We're going to start in Matthew 28 with what we call the Great Commission. <clears throat> and that is uh, 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 Matthew chapter 28. Let's read it. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 18, 19, and 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the opportunity to share my heart. And Lord, help me to communicate the truth that you have shown me this morning. We love you and we thank you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The title of my message, very simply, is Living Living the Great Commission. You know, it's one thing to to read it and say, yes, this is the Great Commission. It's another thing to live it. And because of the baptism, I'm trying to talk really fast and try to get this in because I don't want to be here till 2 o'clock this morning, this afternoon. So, <laughs> no, I, I uh, seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to talk too fast. So I just need to slow down. I'll, I'll make a lot of mistakes if I don't slow down a little bit. In verse 19, I want to draw, you, draw your attention to verse 19. There are three verbs in, in, in verse 19 that I believe are critical to understanding the Great Commission. <clears throat> the first one is go. Go. What, what does it mean to go? What I, what, this is my definition of the word go. Get out of your comfort zone. How many of you like your comfort zone? We all, we all do, okay? So the idea here of go does not necessarily mean we have to go to China. But it does mean we need to go out of our comfort zone. Why? Because of the next verb, teach. It's hard to teach what God's done in your life if you don't get out of your comfort zone. So the word, the first verb is to go. The second word is teach, to communicate what, what, what you know about God. I remember when I first got saved, I knew nothing about God, but I wanted to tell everybody what I did know. And most of it probably was not accurate. I just knew that God had saved me. And I wanted everybody to know that. So the word go, then the word teach, what's the next verb? Baptize. 
Baptism is a step of obedience, one thing, but it is an association with other believers. And you have to understand the culture here. When a person was saved and baptized, they were telling everybody that they were Christians. Not only were they doing it out of obedience, they were doing it to identify with Christ, but they were also doing it to identify with other believers. So it's a step of obedience, but it's also uh, a step of association. As I contemplated these three verbs and, and kind of let them rattle around in my head for a little while, I was taken, my thoughts took me to Acts chapter 10. Turn, if you would, then to Acts chapter 10. The book of Acts is an interesting book. It was, it was not written by Paul. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, Paul gets saved in the book of Acts, so he couldn't have wrote it. Okay? Uh, just out of curiosity, does anybody know who wrote the book of Acts? Okay? Luke did. Luke the physician wrote Acts. So Luke, the, the book of Acts is, is kind of like a, a chronicle, if you would, of the first century church. Um, <clears throat> um, uh, most, I, I did this in my Bible. If you, if, if you look in my Bible and most Bibles, you go to Acts chapter 1. At the very beginning of the book of Acts, it'll say some, my Bible says this. It says the Acts of the Apostles. So that's what the book of Acts is. It is just a chronicle or a diary, if you would, of the first century church. So a lot of the things that we see that Paul, or, or excuse me, can't believe I just said that, that Luke documented for us are still in practice in the churches across our world today. The a lot of the things that, that Luke wrote down have become doctrine for the early New Testament church and have been passed down from century to century to century. And a lot of the things we do, we're going to be baptized this morning, that was all established in the early church. In Acts chapter 1 through 9, the, the gospel, per se, had been primarily preached to the Jews. And then in Acts chapter 10, all that changes. A guy comes on the scene named Cornelius. Cornelius was a devout man. The Bible in Acts chapter 10, if you want to go back and read it, um, you can. But in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is, is called a devout man. And God speaks to Cornelius and he, and he says, and he tells Cornelius to send messengers to Peter and to have Peter come back and, and talk to Cornelius. Well, there's a couple problems here. Number one, Cornelius was a Gentile. And he didn't, and he wasn't, he wasn't saved. He was a devout man. He wanted to learn about God, but he didn't know about God. And God says, Hey, I've got this guy, Peter. Send, send somebody to go get him. And while the messengers were en route, God gives Peter 
a vision. Acts chapter 10, let's start reading in verse 11. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be, um, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter, excuse me. I forgot to move my ribbon. (laughs) Okay, uh, 11, verse 11. And saw the heavens open, and certain vessels descended unto him. Uh, And it had been a great sheet, uh, knit at the four corners, and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of uh, of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice of the Lord spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou uncommon. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. So here Peter is. He's on the rooftop of this house, and <clears throat> he has a vision of this sheep being brought down with all kind of animals, and, and God is teaching Peter that everything is common. There's no from this point forward there's no more unclean animals. Immediately after the vision, the messengers arrive. And Peter then is summoned to Cornelius. So he goes to Cornelius and he shares the gospel with him in his household. Look at verse 28. And he said unto them, Ye know uh, how that it, it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So it, 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 this is the turning point in the church. Again, chapters 1 through 9, the gospel primarily had been going to the the Jews. But in chapter 10, God changes the direction and now he is opening it up and now he's making it very clear that we are to teach everyone. Everyone. I'm here to tell you Christ died for everyone. Let's go back to, well, you don't have to turn, but I'll read it for you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. The word nations here is an interesting word. Uh, It is is the, the Greek word ethnos. Anybody tell, tell, can anybody tell me what English word we get from the word ethnos? Ethnicity. Ethnicity. 
Go ye therefore and teach every ethnic group the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fast forward to chapter 13. Chapter 13 in the book of Acts. Chapter 13 in verse 1, it says, Now there, uh, there were in the church that was, that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, which is called Niger, and Lucas, uh, excuse me, Lucius of Cyrene, and Mayanem, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate unto me, uh, separate me, uh, Barnabas and Saul, for the work, <clears throat> which uh, whereunto I have called them. Verse 3, and when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them. They sent them away. Verse 1 in my Bible, I have written in the in the margin next to verse one. I have this written: multicultural church. Multicultural church. So I want to talk about the church here in Antioch for just a minute because I, I believe this is important to understanding the heartbeat of God. So, point number one this morning. The location of the church. The location of the church. It's in the city of Antioch. It's in verse 1. Now there were uh, in the church that was in Antioch. Antioch, anybody, you know, we read these names and we, we oftentimes struggle. Okay, where's Antioch? Well, let me help you with that. You, I got a picture here for you. Antioch is up in the upper right-hand corner of our of our graphic here. But Antioch is in modern-day Syria. It's not in Israel. It's in Syria. Persecution... Okay, this is this 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 is Israel down down in here. Okay, <clears throat> persecution in the early church had forced believers to spread, and there was a congregation of believers in Antioch, and this is what we're talking about in Acts chapter thirteen. The believers in Antioch. This is not Jerusalem. This is not Israel. This is Syria. So, now that we have a good picture of where the church is, let's talk about the people that are in the church. Point number two, the people in the church. We actually can learn quite a bit from just understanding who these people are. 
the first one that's listed in the in the in the <clears throat> in the list here is a guy named Barnabas. Barnabas, uh, his name means son of encouragement. So this guy uh, was probably a, a, a pessimist, or a, not a pessimist, um, optimist. He's probably an optimist, and he he's one of these people that everybody wants to be around. Barnabas was from the tribe of Levi, so he was a Jew. And he was born on the island of Cyprus. Can you put that picture back up? I'm sorry, Chris. I just me- I'm messing with you. Okay, Cyprus is this island right here where okay. So so Barnabas is a Jew, but he was born in Cyprus. Okay? So the next one, uh, can you leave this up for a second, Chris? I need I, I should have told you and I forgot. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Please forgive me. Um, the next one is a guy named Lucius of Cyrene. Now, I, I did some research, and I couldn't really find anything about Lucius, okay, other than the fact of where he's from. Anybody know where Cyrene is? Now, it's not on the map. I couldn't find a map that had Cyrene on it. But anybody have a have a, a clue where Cyrene is? Okay, it is right in this area off the coast of Africa. It's right on the coast of Africa. I want to say right right in this area here. Okay, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, but I do know it's on the coast of Africa. So it's interesting. We don't know much about. Lucius, but I find it interesting that a guy named Simon of Cyrene was the one who carried the cross for Jesus. I just found that to be interesting. So here you have a guy from Cyprus, a guy from Africa. Then the next one, Oh, oh, I missed one. I'm sorry. Uh, Simeon. Simeon called Niger. Now, again, I couldn't find anything about Simeon, per se. But I did find out that the word Niger means black. So probably every theologian that I, that I looked at they all agreed that he was called Niger because of his complexion. So where he was from, we don't know. But his, his complexion, more than likely, was extremely dark. So we have Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and then a guy named Nahum. Nahum. <laughs> Man, Manaim, thank you. He is the foster brother to the next guy on the list, Herod the Tetrarch. Manaim not only was a foster brother to Herod the Tetrarch, but he was also, more than likely, if most theologians believe, 
that he was a member of Herod's court. That means he was a high up government official at one point. Now, it brings us to the next guy, Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch, also known as alias Herod Antipas. And you're like, I don't care about it. It, it. Just bear with me, okay? Just bear with me. Herod the Tetrarch, or Herod Antipas, was the son of Herod the Great. Are the pieces starting to come together? Herod Antipas played a major role in three New Testament stories. The first one, he was the one who ordered the death of John the Baptist. Yeah, he was a really nice guy. Okay? Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch, is the one who ordered the death of John the Baptist. The second major story that he was very tied to in the New Testament is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 23, verses 6 to, uh, 6 to 12. So here you have a man in the church of Antioch who killed John the Baptist and had Jesus was, was a key player in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And the guy, uh, Mahanam, or however you say that, was probably involved in it too. And these two guys are members of the Church of Antioch. The third important story that Herod the Tetrarch or Herod Antipas is a part of is the commissioning of Saul, who would be later named Paul, and Barnabas to go out and propagate the gospel. And then the last person you have listed in this infamous church <laughs> is a guy named Saul. Saul, by his own admission, was a murderer and a persecutor of the church. And the Christians all over Jerusalem and all over Israel, the Christians were scared to death of Saul. So to say that Antioch was anything but a multicultural church is kind of an understatement. There's a lot of interesting people in this church. But yet, I'm on a, I want to draw your attention back to verse 1 because this is key. Now there, was, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as... And everybody listed beyond that was a prophet and a teacher. Herod Antipas, Saul, Niger, all of them. 
Barnabas, all of them. If that does not testify to the fact that God changes lives, I don't know what does. The second or the third thing I want to talk about quickly is the actions of the church. The actions of the church. Look at verse 2. It says, And they ministered to the Lord and fasted, <clears throat> and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, <clears throat> Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So the word ministered here is an interesting word. I was, I was, share, I was talking to Lawrence about this the other day. Uh, I, I found this word minister to be an interesting word because typically whenever we see the word minister or ministering or, or whatever, we tend to think of it in the, in the text of, of service. Let, let me give you an example. Uh, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, uh, for even the son of man came not to be ministered or, or served, but to serve, minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, in verse 2 here, the word ministered here, I, when I read that, I thought, wait a minute, this is the book of Acts. Jesus is in heaven. So how can he minister to Jesus? He can't serve Jesus. And I looked up the Greek word for the word minister here, and it's a completely different word. And, it, and it, it has the idea of, of what a priest would do in the temple, to serve in the temple. Not to serve people, but to serve in the temple. And what, what took place in the temple more often than not? Prayer. Prayer. So here we have Luke documenting here that these men listed in verse 1 ministered or they prayed and fasted and the Holy Ghost said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul. Prayed. Why should we pray for our missionaries? Here, here this morning, I've encouraged you, before you leave, please take a minute and pray for our missionaries. Why is it so important that we pray for our missionaries? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you two reasons very quickly. <clears throat> Look at verse 4 of chapter 13. So they, being sent by the Holy Ghost, departed uh, unto Cilicia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus, <clears throat> and when they were in uh, Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue unto the Jews, and they also uh, uh, <clears throat> and they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the Isle of Patmos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar Jesus. Now. <clears throat> the first reason why we need to pray for our missionaries is very, very simple. The battle is spiritual, not physical. What, what, is, what is the first problem that they encounter? A sorcerer. 
a spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The battle is spiritual. Every missionary I've ever met will tell you the same thing. Please pray for us. And we see here one of the reasons is the battle is spiritual and it never lets up. <clears throat> the second reason, very quickly, <clears throat> look at verse 13. Now, in, in verse 5, we see that Saul and Barnabas are joined by a guy named John, or his later his he, he goes back and forth through scripture, but his, his name is John Mark. Sometimes he's called Mark, sometimes he's called John, sometimes he's called John Mark, okay? But we see this guy named John who joins them in verse 5. Look down, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from uh, Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returned to Jerusalem. The second reason we need to pray for our missionaries, it's easy to become discouraged. Now, we are not told why John left Paul or Barnabas and Paul. We're not told why. We can assume that he got discouraged. Something happened, and, and, and <clears throat> we again, we don't know. But chances are really, really good he got discouraged. And needless to say, it discouraged Paul and Barnabas as well. Because shortly after this, when they come back to Antioch, uh, <clears throat> and they're getting ready to go on the second missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas get into a tiff. Because Barnabas wants to take John Mark with him again. And Paul says, there ain't no way that boy's coming with me. So Paul and Barnabas separate. And Paul goes one way, Barnabas goes the other. The life of a missionary can be discouraging. But the awesome part of this story is this. Paul and John Mark become dear friends at the end of Paul's life. In Acts chapter 15, verses 37 to 40, and Bar it says, and, and Barnabas determined uh, to take with him. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. Uh, scratch that. We're gonna. I'm gonna fast forward. We're gonna skip that verse. Uh, uh, what's your name? Chris. Um, let's let's go. <clears throat> let's go to Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four and verse eleven. At the end of Paul's life, Paul Paul does something that is absolutely incredible. He says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark, or John Mark, and bring him with thee, for he is profitable unto me for the ministry. Barnabas never gave up on John Mark. Paul did, but Barnabas never did. And by the end of Paul's life, Paul admitted the fact he had made a mistake. And John Mark became an important person in his life. The battle is spiritual, and it can become very discouraging. 
Imagine yourself in a foreign country, detached from your family, your friends, oftentimes detached from other missionaries where you're you're totally isolated. Do you think you'd get discouraged? Absolutely. Point number four. Let's look at the actions of Paul and Silas. The actions of Paul and Silas. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into prison. Acts chapter 16, let's start reading in verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang, uh, prayed and sang praises unto God. This is after they were beaten. They were thrown into prison and they were singing and praising and singing and giving praises to God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison Awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prisoner's doors open, he drew his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. Let me stop right there. Why didn't the prisoners flee? They could have, every one of them. They were all captivated by what was taking place in Paul and Silas's jail cell. And they all stayed to hear what Paul and Silas had to say. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and were baptized, he and all him and all his straightway. <clears throat> They shared the gospel. People got saved. And when they got saved, they got baptized. That, my friend, is the Great Commission. Go, teach, and baptize. Get out of your comfort zone. Share the gospel. You say, but pastor, I don't know how to share the gospel. Then tell people what Christ has done in your life. Just tell them what you know. But go and teach. And we'll take care of the baptizing. This morning, as we baptize, I want, I want you to remember a couple things. Baptism is a step of obedience. Jesus tells us we are to get we are to get saved and then baptized. And this morning we're going to watch five people follow the Lord in baptism. What a privilege.
What a privilege. But it's also an identification. I wear a, re- a wedding ring. I have, I have worn this for over 40 years. But for the majority of my 40 years of marriage, I never wore a ring because I worked construction and different things and it was, it was not healthy for me to wear a ring. So I didn't for, for many years. So does that mean that the majority of the 40 years I've been married, uh, I wasn't married? No, it doesn't mean that. But now that I wear a ring, what does it, what does it tell everybody that sees this ring? That I'm married. It's an, it, it, is, it identifies me with a commitment I made a little over 40 years ago. In January, it will be 41 years. It was a commitment I made then, and it's a commitment that I, I plan on keeping. Baptism is much like this. It is, a, it is a picture of what Christ has done in our lives. As, a, as, as, as the people that we baptized this morning, as they, as they <clears throat> go into the water, it is a picture of the death and the burial of Christ. And when they come out of the water, it is a picture of the resurrection of Christ. But it is also a picture of us dying to the old man to be raised to walk in newness of life. Because Paul says what? I'm new in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Bob, can you run down and see what's keeping the kids? They should have been here by now. Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) she told... Anyway, that's... Anyway... Uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Then they gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. It is, a, it is an awesome thing that God has given us, an awesome responsibility, the Great Commission. Go, teach, and baptize. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, I want to thank you for this opportunity to share what I believe is the importance of praying for our missionaries and fulfilling the Great Commission. Where we need you in our lives. We, we desperately need you in our lives. And Lord, I ask that you would do a mighty work and that you would help us to walk with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.